How in the world could this be possible? It was Get Right Week. Welcome to yet another episode of Scarlet Fever. I am your host, Grant Hansen. The one Nebraska sport to get right this last week was the volleyball team, but did they really? Despite wins over Northwestern and Iowa, John Cook certainly isn't satisfied, we'll discuss. Plus, somehow, Nebraska basketball is just around the corner. What type of team does Fred Hoiberg have on his hands in 2021? Can they go 500 in a weaker but still incredibly competitive Big Ten Conference? And how did it sneak up on us so fast? And finally, how many ways are there to lose a football game? Turns out there are plenty. Nebraska lost in a heartbreaking fashion on Saturday to now number 17 Michigan State by a score of 23 to 20. We'll give a quick recap and then turn our attention to homecoming against Pat Fitzgerald and the Northwestern Wildcats. That's all coming up next on Scarlet Fever. Hey all, welcome back to another episode of Scarlet Fever. You can follow my co-host Landon Wirt on Twitter at Landon, W-I-R-T, Wirt. Again, no spaces in there. You can find me on Twitter at Hanson15 underscore Hanson. Once again, Hanson15 underscore Hanson. That is Hanson with an E-N. Don't forget, this is a podcast of the Daily Nebraskan, so give at Daily NEB and at DN Sports a follow for all your campus news from the students who live it every day. Again, at Daily NEB and at DN Sports. Well, another week. It's packed. Certainly, this is a huge week for Nebraska athletics across the board. Just about everybody getting involved this weekend, but we start like we do each week. What's the best thing you saw this week? This is can be anything. It does not have to be sports. Landon, the best thing you saw this last week was what? Yeah, uh, two quick honorable mention shout-outs before we get too far into what I saw. Uh, quick shout-out to Salvador Perez. Uh, yeah. My Kansas City Royals hit his 47th bomb last night, currently leading the league. Hopefully Salvi can keep that up because it would be really cool to see him lead the, lead, lead the league in home runs and at the very least break the Royals club record of 48. That happened after I typed out what I saw, so that's cool. Oklahoma State football is also 4-0. That's awesome. Now getting into the best thing I saw this week. So, I'm a very big soccer fan. Grew up playing soccer. Love watching the game. Uh, Love around this time of year when World Cup qualifiers are kicking into full swing for the United States. A lot of good club soccer happening, too. One of which is the, the UEFA Champions League, which is the top club soccer competition teams all across europe compete it's really fun to see all the best teams from france and spain and england go head to head week in and week out while it's going on but i want to talk about one of the biggest upsets in champions league history that occurred yesterday sheriff tiraspol club from moldovia in a part of moldovia that they technically don't recognize and doesn't even technically exist it's a very fascinating story would recommend to google Founded in 1997, they overcame incredible odds just to qualify for the Champions League. A lot of these smaller clubs from smaller European countries they may win their leagues, but they have to go through an intensive round of qualifying just to get to the 32 teams that actually play. Uh, they went up against Real Madrid yesterday. Real Madrid are one of the Spanish powerhouses. Cristiano Ronaldo played for them forever. 13-time UEFA Champions League champions. Um, going into yesterday... Sheriff Tiraspol was going to Spain to play Real Madrid, and they were plus 2,700 underdogs on the money line. A $10 bet on them to win would have won $270. And they shocked the world and did the damn thing and beat Real Madrid 2-1 at the Estadio Bernabeu. It was awesome. They went up 1-0 in the first half, then Real Madrid tied it in the 60th minute, and everyone's like, oh gosh, here we go. Like, this is where the you know, the the big teams take over and do their thing and start, you know, dominating and winning. But they scored this incredible goal Sheriff did in the 89th minute, this volley from outside the box. It was so cool. They won 2-1. to one. It makes me happy. And that's like, you know, that, that's what soccer's all about, like getting these small teams in and having these really cool upsets. And I watched a lot of the game, admittedly, the back half of it during class where I should have been paying attention, but I wanted to see if they could pull off this huge upset and win. And they did. So that made me really happy, and that was the best thing I saw. So I was going to ask, how late did you have to stay up to watch no, it? No, afternoon. You afternoon, uh. yeah. It was it was some some at, prime afternoon uh, afternoon soccer. So, you know, Europe's got like the, the six-hour time difference, so it's like 7 or 8 o'clock over there. So it's nothing too, nothing too obscene. Well, I got to go with uh, an experience I had on Monday. I was going in towards the uh, Monday press conferences. I was a little early. 
John Cook talks at 11, so I'm usually there for that. I uh, wasn't really aware of the rest of the schedule, and so I walk into the elevator at uh, through gate 7, and as I am, as the door's closing, I hear this, this man call out to me and say, hey, can you hold the door? So I hold the door, and I look up, and it's Fred Hoiberg. <laughs> and I'm like, holy cow. Um, and so, so Fred walks in, and and so we had a little conversation on the way up, and I, I've never met Fred Hoiberg before. He was actually, it turns out, speaking before John Cook, and so I got to listen to his press conference, and we'll talk a little bit about that uh, later on in the episode. But I think one of the things that I was really struck by uh, in that time, and as, as I heard further stories about Fred throughout the week, the dude's just a top-tier guy. Like, as a person, like, he is, he's an incredible human being, and so... That was fun. He was incredibly nice in the elevator. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to, to to hear some of those stories about him this week. Uh, because you think, you know, it's very hard to replace a guy like Tim Miles, who really, I mean, that is one of the guys, I think, you know, man, if you've ranked the nicest, quote-unquote, coaches or coolest, uh, quote-unquote, coaches in Nebraska athletics history, Tim is probably up there, uh, and so Fred kind of had a tough act to follow in that way, but he certainly delivered, I think. And so it'll be interesting to see how the year turns out, but on a personal level, that was a very positive interaction. Yeah, Hoiberg's a good guy. As someone that's covered the men's basketball team for two years now, three in the f- three coming up this fall, all under Hoiberg, I, you know, I can speak to that. He's very personable, very yeah. down-to-earth. He's a straight shooter. Uh, they're – have been very, very few times in a press conference of his where, you know, he said something and I've, kind of, and I've kind of thought to myself, okay, like, what's he actually talking about? This isn't something that's actually happening. He's very real. We'll tell it like it is. And, yeah, overall a good guy. A lot of good people in the men's basketball program. And I'm looking forward to that year. And, yeah, we'll get into more of it a little bit further. But that is a program that deserves a lot of success. And, yeah, following Tim Miles is tough, too, because yeah. Miles is – about as friendly as a guy there is, really, really personable as well. Uh, Nebraska's been really lucky with having two great dudes there, you know, back-to-back as men's basketball head coaches. Yeah, it was interesting. I was trying to count during the press conference, and maybe I have to go back and listen, but how many times after Fred was asked a question, he said, that's a great question. Yeah, I think it was almost every time. <laughs> I noticed like that, too. three or four times, yeah. Uh, but that was a really good press, press conference. Basketball snuck up on us. We'll talk about it later in the show, but let's turn our attention towards the football program and a struggle on Saturday night that was kind of hard to see coming. You knew it was going to be a close game, but, man, how many ways really are there to lose a football game? I feel like Nebraska's experienced just about every one of them, and then they lose, and I'm like, wow, that's different. Yeah, Justin Slipichka made a great note in his takeaways following the Michigan State game with regards to special teams specifically, but I think it can be applied team-wide. And Frost even alluded to this on Monday in a quote that he gave. It's something different every week with the special teams specifically. One week it's punt returning and muffed punts. The The other week it's missed kicks. Then against Michigan State, it's not punting the ball properly. I mean, not only was the 34-yard punt that was a low line drive from Cherney bad in and of itself that led to the touchdown – But people forget that Michigan State could have had three points at the end of the first half because of a seven-yard punt. I believe that one was by Will Pristop. So the punting was just horrendous on Saturday, and one of the big reasons why Nebraska was ultimately able to come up short. But, yeah, it really does seem like there's something new every week, which Mm. as a coach, from a coach's perspective, it makes it so difficult because, you know, sometimes it's the offensive line, sometimes it's turnovers, and then other times it's just – the whole thing collapses in on itself on special teams. The thing that was the most interesting to me about Saturday was Nebraska had struggled in each of these like own individual areas at points like offensive lines, special teams, turnovers, things like that. But it was very rare, at least up to Saturday, where all of those things have happened, plus interesting coaching decisions on top of it. The reason why I think Saturday sucked so much was because all of those things happened at once and fast. Like, things were going fine. Yeah, there was a couple punting errors. The offensive line had a shaky first quarter but seemed to overall start to rebound. And then it just was a domino after domino after domino after domino in the last seven minutes of the game. And I think that's what made 
the result ultimately hurt all the all the more. Yeah, and on a more somber note, and I wanted to make note of this because I thought this was something that was really smart. Uh, Jojo Doman, uh, who has his own podcast associated with Husker Online, brought this up this week, and and I thought it was really something that was kind of kind of odd, uh, but you know it was very astute of him even really to notice this. So this is the I don't know how many times between Nebraska and Michigan State when they play they'll honor Mike. Sadler and Sam Foltz, but this is the first time Nebraska has visited East Lansing yeah. since the tragic ax- car accident that took the lives of those two young men. And Dolman brought up on his podcast that the first time these two teams played in Lincoln, what did they lose? What did Michigan State lose by? A field goal. Mike Sadler, kicker. Then on the Nebraska side, you go to East Lansing. What do you lose on? A bad punt. Sam Folds, punter. That was uh, that was something that I saw this weekend that was kind of it was it was sobering and and it was just kind of weird. It you know, um, and so that was interesting to me and, and in a lot of ways too because Nebraska truly has not been good in the punting side of things uh, since Sam Folds, really in any way, uh, and so. It was weirdly poetic, <laughs> and and just yeah, it was just so many levels of disappointing throughout the whole game. Another note that I saw this weekend too, and I wish I could credit who it was who I saw this from because I saw it on Twitter. But Tommy Armstrong in his junior and senior year was sacked 18 times, total combined. Oh no, this is going to be a bad stat. I know. It. Five <laughs> games, Adrian Martinez has been has been sacked 18 times. So, you, you know, you talk about the basically cornucopia of errors all at once in the final five minutes. Um, and this kind of leads me into our, the second point of discussion, too. But I'm okay with Scott Frost eating the timeouts. And here's why. People say that him making that decision and playing for overtime is him not trusting his offense. And I say, yes, <laughs> because what about that offensive line has given you any reason to trust them in that situation at all? Yeah. Especially after you gave up the sack. At, you know, if, if he doesn't give up the sack, yeah, because then you can use him. But to me, you know, why risk another a strip sack, something that you could think could almost inevitably happen, or a rush throw from Martinez because of a bad pocket that leads to a pick. And I know that goes against the whole no fear of failure thing. I know it. I understand. But here's the thing. If he had decided to use those timeouts, run a couple of plays, and something disastrous had in fact happened, or Nebraska, you know, God forbid, had been forced to punt again, (laughs) because Michigan State could have forced that, do you, I mean, he would have been absolutely destroyed in the media so I, I i'm okay with him sitting on it because again you look at the illinois game final minute under a minute to go you have a chance to drive down and tie the ball game with a two-point conversion now of course it's a long shot but what happens adrian gets sacked twice then you look at the oklahoma game same situation except now you can tie or take the lead inside a minute adrian sacked twice here against Michigan State, Adrian sacked the first time. Scott elects to not sacrifice him a second time. That's where I come down on that. I don't know where you're at, but sure, share, yeah, share your thoughts. Yeah, on the, on the final I mean, it, it shows a lot of trust in the defense. I mean, right. Nebraska's defense up to that point had been playing extremely well, so and that never faltered, really. No, it didn't. And you know, you you'd have to think you would rather take your chances in overtime in that situation, but. One of the things that I have not been able to stop thinking about when I think about this game is, yes, the offensive line play was bad. Yes, the punting was bad. But so was Nebraska's play calling in the red zone. So there were a couple of instances where Nebraska ran a play, and I just like sat there and like put my head in my hands almost and was scratching my eyes because I couldn't really believe what I was seeing. I mean, the second and 11 draw with Brody Belt in the first half. Right. And there was another similar weird second and long run in the second half. So, you know, yes, I understand that, like, playing 
you know, play to your strengths. You like your defense's chances in a short field. Michigan State hasn't been able to run the ball. Thorns looked meh. But on the other side, Nebraska's offense hadn't inspired any confidence to me in the red zone, like at all. And the play calling just got super strange and conservative when, you know, it appeared that Nebraska could try and go for the jugular a little bit. So while I do agree that, like, you know, Frost has seen enough from two past games to maybe say, hey, you know what? We probably shouldn't risk it. Adrian's already been stripped for a sack this game. Might as well just sit on it and take it to overtime. But at the same time, then, uh, you you factor in that, okay, Nebraska will have had to get aggressive on offense. Of course, you know, the interception happened. But I I don't know. With the way Nebraska was calling plays inside the 20, I don't know how much I would have liked it. But yeah. it really is like... The, what's the lesser of two evils, right? Because say Nebraska just tries to go for it. Well, now you have like a special team situation that's just been like so untrustworthy, whether it ends in a punt or like a 40 to 50 yard field goal or even a 35 to 50 yard field goal. Right. You go for overtime, Nebraska's defense been great, but then you have this big question mark of how Nebraska has been able to call plays in the red zone up to that point. So it really is like, like, like what? What do you think? Like the least possible bad things could happen, and it's easy to play like Monday morning quarterback, right? right. After all of this has gone down, but I think the lesser of two evils is probably to play for overtime. So looking back on it, I think that that was probably the right call. But yeah, it really stinks that at this point of the season, Nebraska's in a position where like there really are just massive question marks on both sides of, you know, I mean, the good teams in college football, like your Bama's, your, you know, teams in the top 10, right? Even like your Penn State's, Ohio State's for that matter. They're going to let their, their quarterback go down and try to get points at the end of the game. But with the way Nebraska's offensive line is right now, it's a shame that that has to be factored so much into decision making by Frost and the coaching staff and the like. Yeah, I think the red zone play calling has always been an issue and that yeah. will, I think, probably continue to be an issue uh, you know, for, for the remainder of Scott's time here or until something, you know, drastically changes. I, I, my thing is and again, this is maybe this is too much of an NCAA 14 or 13 <laughs> oh, play yeah. callers mindset. I like this. I really uh, like this. <laughs> I just I don't understand why on every goal to go situation, no matter where it is, why Adrian isn't getting like a guaranteed carry. It doesn't have to be a QB draw. It, you know, read out and you saw on the touchdown they scored to take the lead. What they do? They put in Adrian's hands and he delivered. That that QB plunge play, I I will say just as an aside, that is one of my favorite plays that Nebraska runs currently. And the way really the well. way they're able to scheme that up, it's that's now three games off the top of my head that I can think of where they've run that play for a touchdown. Buffalo, Oklahoma, and now Michigan State. I really love that play as a part of Nebraska's goal line package and they have tight ends that go tight ends that go in there and lane mean blocks and the offensive line always pulls well. It's a very good play. I like it a lot. Anyway, sorry. So let's yeah, let's look ahead to this week. Northwestern comes to town. One note two. Michigan is a night game. That is really exciting. Uh, the atmosphere here is gonna be really great for that, especially if Nebraska takes care of business on Saturday against Northwestern. So that's where we turn our attention here now. How do you feel that the press conference on Monday came off to you? Some of the talk about the serious discussions in the special teams meetings. Uh, I was kind of shocked that like serious discussions in special teams meetings took like this basically rock beyond rock bottom yeah. for that to happen. Uh, because I think there probably should have been serious conversations after, after the, the Buffalo, Illinois game, after, after the, the Buffalo, Buffalo game. game. That's when things should have been discussed. And the same with the offensive line. It's... I'm glad that it's happening now, but it, it this should not have taken this long. I mean, even after the Oklahoma game, with all those penalties on the offensive line, right. it it shouldn't take multiple catastrophic performances in a row by a unit in order for a coaching staff to sit down and say, okay, maybe we should address this. Like when I heard Matt Sichterman say that Frost was now spending more time with the offensive line during practice— right. My thought process is, okay, why wasn't this happening two or three weeks ago? Yep. You know, And I know that there's only so much a coaching staff can do when an offensive line just continues to make false start penalties. But, I mean, I was going through some of the pass blocking grades uh, in my practice notes story from that press conference. 
and uh, spoiler bad. alert, it's not very it's pretty. Um, the two positions where Frost talked about needing to uh, get things right, both at left guard and right tackle, um, <laughs> both Trent Hickson and Bryce Benhart were the two players in question that Frost referred to that played in those spots on, on Saturday. Both were, according to Pro Football Focus, both were the lowest graded offensive linemen in both run and pass blocking for Nebraska on the evening. Hickson allowed a sack, four quarterback hurries, and a penalty with a PFF grade of 40.6. Ben Hart allowed three sacks, seven quarterback hurries, one quarterback hit, and was penalized. Yeah. Uh, Bryce is, I mean, he's like a revolving door at this point. And his freshman year was not that bad. No, it, it, it's, it's gotten to the point, though, where the offensive line as currently constructed is a liability. And I know right. Frost... You know, he said some things after the Michigan State game that led many to assume that he's kind of throwing the players under the bus a little bit. But I think when it comes to a, a position like this and instances like this, I mean, you have to call a, a duck a duck, right? You have to go call the offensive line what it is, which is a not right. a very good unit. And it stinks that we have to get to this point. And Nebraska's offensive line room is plenty talented enough. I mean, Adrian Martinez said it. They've got studs in that room. It's just for whatever reason – they cannot figure it out and put together a complete game. And I will just say, uh, as an aside, knock on wood here, but one of the things that has been like pretty encouraging over the last couple of weeks has been Cam Jurgens. I've liked yeah. the, he's been delivering the ball well to, to Martinez. Yep. There haven't hasn't really been any snapping issues. He did have the two penalties against uh, Oklahoma, but even Frost is stressed like he'd rather tell a guy whoa than giddy up. Uh, that was the exact quote actually. Right. He'd rather tell a guy to like pull it back a little bit from the aggressive side of things as opposed to hey you need to I need to light a fire under you about to go like try to level somebody so I think he's been playing really well and he's looks like one of the better pieces on the line but there need to be some some personnel changes yeah I, I think there's a difference between you know throwing your players under the bus and saying this isn't working yeah. and I think in many ways obviously it's not working <laughs> You know, uh, but I think there was some of that. There was some of the throw under the bus after Michigan State, and there was some of. I think there was some of both, and there are plenty of fans in the call-in shows and on Twitter who are going to read into that. And if you already hate Frost, it's 100% throwing him under the bus. And if you always like, you know, there's two sides that are basically 100% polarized uh, on the topic at this point. So. I don't know, though, if things get much – do things get much better this week? I mean, Northwestern's front, compared to everybody else that Nebraska will have to play on the rest of the schedule, Northwestern is probably the easiest front that is remaining for Nebraska. So if things don't get better this week, that's a major red flag, yes? Yes. I – Northwestern is a team that always has played Nebraska close. Yeah. I really like Pat Fitzgerald. He's one of the Who better – one of the better, if not, like, dare I say, the best coach in the Big Ten. One of them, is certainly. I mean, there isn't really very many other guys within the conference currently whose name is currently linked, or not currently linked, but it seems like every time the Chicago Bears have a bad week, yeah. every everyone's clamoring for Pat Fitzgerald. Yep. But I really like him as a coach. Northwestern does have a couple of nice defensive pieces. I didn't know when I was doing some digging into their roster that Chris Burgeon is still there kicking it. He it seems like he's been there forever. Mm. Uh, he's a really good linebacker, actually the fourth leading tackler in Division One. He picked off Nebraska last year. Northwestern has a really good safety in Brandon Joseph, who was an All-American yep. at the end of last year. He's a stud. Uh, but, yeah, on the whole, Northwestern is definitely one of the lighter opponents Nebraska has remaining and it should be able to do mostly what it wants offensively, but it has to be wary because the Wildcats do have pieces to make Nebraska's offense, at least to me, from my perspective, a little bit uncomfortable. It's been Northwestern uh, or Purdue, really, yeah. that, that have to be the easiest two remaining fronts because everybody else you face, Michigan, I don't know where I'd put Michigan, uh, probably fourth. Uh, and then Wisconsin, I would actually rank above Iowa. I think Wisconsin and Iowa are one and two, and then Ohio State's in there. I, if, if Ohio State can, um, for la well, yeah, just figure things out. <laughs> if Ohio State can figure things out on the defensive side of the ball, that that could be pretty serious because they are talented, but they're a little yeah. bit discombobulated right now. Uh, so, but 
this is the most you think this is the most important four game stretch in Scott Frost's tenure. Why? Yes, I do, and it, it's pretty. I mean, for me, it's it's pretty cut and dry. Nebraska, this four-game stretch, of the entire month of October, basically. I kind of wasn't looking at him like, oh, these four games are important, but it's October. Three of the four games are at home, and the opponents are so-so. Northwestern, we've kind of alluded to this, but Northwestern is not a great football team. They're well-coached, they're disciplined, they have a couple of good players, but that's not a team Nebraska should the be losing to. The talent gap is big. Yes, the talent gap is massive. Michigan comes to town next weekend, and Michigan's kind of been meh. Michigan and Florida nationwide are two teams I think have, are a little bit overrated, and I don't – I mean, Michigan can run the ball really well, uh, which is something Nebraska's shown a propensity to take took away. Alabama within two points a couple of weeks ago, though. Yeah, I, I'll get into my thoughts about Alabama in a little <laughs> bit, but – Michigan, I don't really know what to make of them. Yep. Cade Mack, I mean, Michigan in the second half just looked completely lost against, put Rutgers away. against Rutgers. Yeah. Um, and I know Rutgers is better, and it's probably time to stop making the Rutgers as the butt of the Big Ten jokes. Right. But Rutgers still isn't like, I mean, it, we're talking about a Noah Vedra-led offense here. He's done fine, but. He's not as dynamic as most of the other quarterbacks. No, or, or even an Adrian Martinez. So right. Michigan has certainly looked vulnerable through, you know, through games this season and with the atmosphere that could be present at Memorial Stadium should Saturday's results go a certain way, that's going to be a huge game. Yeah. Minnesota just lost to Bowling Green at home as 31-point favorites. I'm putting no stock into the Golden Gophers anymore. And how bad is Colorado? Yeah. I mean, honestly. Yeah, Colorado's bad too. You lose by 30 points to Minnesota and then they turn around next week and just lay an egg against Bowling Green. That has not got to be good for your confidence. No, absolutely not. Bowling Green is really bad. That's a bad, bad, bad Mac school. Um, that were, I mean Bowling Green were just bludgeoned week in and week out uh, last year. So, th- I mean going to Minnesota certainly wouldn't scare me if I were a Nebraska player or a coach, especially if Bowling Green was able to do so. And if things keep trending in a negative direction for Minnesota, that, that might as well be a Nebraska home game up there. So that is certainly not a formidable opponent. And then you have Purdue, and Purdue's Purdue. Uh, they're, they're meh. They're back on the struggle bus without Ron Yeah, they're, they uh, – Purdue doesn't have their starting running back anymore. Yep. Xander Horvath, who's a player I really like. It's a bummer to see him out. I mean, Purdue's got – a decentish quarterback and good weapons still on the perimeter, but I mean that's not a game that really horrifies me either. So these four games, I would say, are all extremely winnable in their own right. If Nebraska can go three and one or four and zero during this, I mean four and zero obviously guarantees right. a bowl game, but even and three, probably save Scott's job. I think even three and one that you're right it pro- it makes the head coaching position appear a lot more stable takes a lot of pressure off too, takes a lot of pressure games. off over this final stretch of 3 games against Ohio State, Wisconsin, Iowa which right. will be extremely difficult yep and it, it it'll just give them some much needed confidence but it starts Saturday and i cannot stress enough how important just a win is with the way nebraska's been losing recently it just needs to win and you know if it comes comfortably that's great but nebraska's got to figure out a way to put away a big 10 opponent and i think that that will just give them all the confidence in the world moving forward because michigan minnesota and purdue it's no ohio state wisconsin and iowa yeah purdue ain't it that's for sure well and to me the only acceptable record i think if you're a nebraska fan and you know if you're someone who uh would like to see scott frost keep his job uh three and one is the only acceptable outcome in this stretch of games because if you go two and two your chances of making a bowl game are virtually zero because you would then at that point have to beat two of the three between wisconsin iowa and ohio state and again you know nebraska has not beaten really hardly any of those teams uh, under frost or just in general uh, in their time in the Big Ten. Uh, so, you know, it, it, this is a very important stretch, to be sure. I think Michigan, there's some question marks. We'll find out a lot about Michigan and Wisconsin this weekend when those two teams play each other. 
Uh, Wisconsin looks a little bit more winnable than before, but the problem is with the way that Nebraska's offensive line is currently composed, it is a real big struggle for me to say that even despite the offensive struggles Wisconsin is currently going through, that Nebraska's offensive line can hold up against that front and carry Nebraska to a win or do just enough that Nebraska can win that game. So this stretch is huge. As you look at this week, your biggest key in this Northwestern game before we give our picks coming up here in a second. Yeah, I, just really quick, I, I will say a Saturday, November in, in Madison has Not all fun. the potential of like a 10-3 game yeah. if Nebraska doesn't sort itself out on the offensive line. Wisconsin is certainly more winnable before, and as a whisper, I still think the Iowa game is very winnable because I'm – as – as me, the jury, I'm still out on Iowa's offense. Mm. I do not think Spencer Petrus is very good still. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I I think if you're Nebraska, you would prefer not going into that stretch and to win two games. In terms of this weekend, the thing I'm looking for, it's simple to me. Northwestern's offense is, like, very similar to offenses Nebraska's already gone up against this season. It's a Buffalo-type offense, a Michigan State-type offense. A quarterback in Ryan Holinsky that is not a world beater, but is an efficient game manager type and a really good running back. Evan Hole is currently eighth in Division One in yards per game with, I believe, 478 total. Had a huge game last week against Ohio, ran for 200-something yards, including a 90-yard score. I don't know how much stock I can put into a season thus far, given he's half his total yards on the season came against Ohio, but... He certainly is a back worth watching. Anytime you're in the top ten of the country for yards, it means you don't you don't stink. So Nebraska's goal on Saturday is going to be on the defensive side of the ball what it's done previously. Take away the opposition's best player and force a quarterback and a lot of unproven skill positions beat you. I don't even think there's a Northwestern receiver that's hit two hundred yards on the season yet. So yeah, if you're I, Nebraska's yeah. if you're Nebraska's defense, you would much rather prefer Helinski to throw it out and air it out and beat you as opposed to letting Evan Hull run all over you. So okay. if Nebraska's able to take away the run, it should be able to give its offense more than enough chances to win the game comfortably. So I'm looking at how Nebraska's defensive line fares against Northwestern offensive line that I don't know much about, but they'll be well coached. So that battle in the trenches is what I'm really looking for on Saturday. All right, well, that'll do it for our Nebraska football talk. One, two, and you coming up next on Scarlet Fever. All right, welcome back to Scarlet Fever. Grant Hansen alongside Landon Wirt. It's time now for 1-2-N-U. Landon and I pick our top two, or at least our top two most interesting college football bets of the week. We will pick against the spread. It will also include the Nebraska game. Both of us are coming off two and one weeks. Uh, both of us got the Michigan State game right despite both of us picking Nebraska. It was within that five-point spread. Landon is six and six, even at five hundred on the year. I am four and eight, so I need to make a recovery. Landon, your first pick of the week is Alabama Ole Miss in a game that I think is just going to be so so great on Saturday afternoon. Nebraska fans, if you're looking for some pre-Nebraska Northwestern watching, this game is going to be a good one. The Lane Train, Lane Kiffin, is going to Tuscaloosa in a rematch of a game that. You know, flew under the radar a little bit last really year, good. but it was really, really good. Alabama ended up winning 63-48. Uh, Ole Miss's defense has improved a lot since last year, but Mac Jones just had a ridiculous day with his really fun offensive weapons there. Najee Harris, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, those guys all just had great performances. You know, Bama, to me, is a team. Obviously, they're very good. Nick Saban is one of the best coaches in the history of college football. But on the whole this year, I can't shake the feeling that it's just going to be a bad year for all the college football giants. I mean, Ohio State has looked extremely vulnerable. Oklahoma continues to look worse by the week. Clemson is, you know, all but their playoff hopes are all but shot after they picked up their second loss of the season. And 
I look at Alabama, and obviously, you know, it's Bama. They've got the pedigree, the success, and all that. But, I mean, taking a look at Bama's results, they beat Florida by two in the swamp after Bama really was impressive in the first quarter. Put up 21 points and then did nothing the rest of the game and was able to kind of just see out a victory uh, that almost wasn't even well-deserved. Bryce Young struggled a little bit uh, in that big moment. That Great start. Just couldn't finish it. Yeah. In addition to that, Bama has a victory over a Miami team who, (laughs) much like every team in the ACC, it feels like continues just to look absolutely terrible so that win I I hold almost no stock in and then two cupcakes Ole Miss meanwhile uh you know Ole Miss has beaten Tulane which is a team that's not super great but also Louisville and then team can be a little feisty there's there's a cupcake win I think somewhere in there but I like Ole Miss off of a bye with a defense that's much better than last year's unit with a Heisman favorite quarterback and Matt Corral and a coach that's really hungry to make a huge statement victory. If Ole Miss is able to beat Alabama on Saturday, the absolute madness that would ensue in rankings and everything that follows would just be lovely. Yeah. I don't know if Ole Miss has the capability to go in there and pull it off just because I am giving Bama that slight benefit of the doubt. But I do think that this is going to be a game way closer than the 15-point spread indicates and comes down to the wire. So I like Bama by one, 38-37, but I'm a really big fan of Ole Miss. This same quarterback-head coach duo, as I referenced, did put up 48 points on a vaunted Alabama defense last year. Ole Miss will have no trouble scoring. It's whether or not its defense can come down and make the big stops when it needs to. But on the whole, I think they cover 15-point spread in my favorite game of the day on Saturday. Yeah, that one's going to be very entertaining. Everything really below Alabama is an unknown, I think, right now in the rankings. Like, yeah, Georgia's number two, and yeah, that defense looks good, but the value that that opening week win over Clemson had has diminished every week. And now with Clemson ranked 25th, I don't really know where to place that. Yes, the eye test says... They're very talented in a top four, maybe five team. Uh, but where's that offense at? That's a kind of a still of a question to me. And so a win like this for Ole Miss over Alabama would really, really throw things into complete chaos. So, I mean, I'm definitely rooting for it. I don't know if it's going to happen. 15 points was the separation last time these two teams met. That's why I stayed away from this game. Uh, but... We'll see. We'll yeah. see. It's it's very entertaining. My again, central Georgia, argument. Arkansas, too, at the beginning of the day. There's a couple of huge SEC showdowns this week. Yeah. I my my central argument, Ole Miss better defense. I love Matt Corral. Fifteen. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm gonna pick the toilet bowl for my first game. <laughs> Arguably the worst two programs in all of college football. And I'm including non FBS teams in that, for sure. Vanderbilt and Connecticut. Who thought it was a good idea to put these two teams on the field together? Uh, Tickets actually cost more to go to this game than the ticket fee, A, and B, to go to the Northwestern Ohio game from last week. It is $2 last week to go to Northwestern Ohio. This week, Vanderbilt and Connecticut will cost you three smackaroons. So, man, if I was there, I would definitely go to see this game (laughs) because... Bad. It's going to be so bad. Bandy is given 14 and a half points on the line that I got most recently. That seems insane to me. Connecticut is a team that took Wyoming to the wire last week, and Wyoming is 4-0, relatively solid Mountain West team year in, year out. Uh, so I think this is actually a game. Uh, I don't know if it's a game worth watching, but it is going to be a game, and there's no way, in my opinion, that Vanderbilt is able to cover that 14 and a half point spread. I think Connecticut makes it close Vanderbilt ends up winning 27-25 but the only reason I'm really giving them an edge is because they're an SEC team and man outside of that I don't know this thing's gonna be close and it's gonna be really bad yeah I I with all the great football on Saturday I would recommend spending approximately zero minutes watching this yeah Uh, it, it will be bad both these teams really stink like big time if football were disbanded at either of these two schools no one would be complaining it's gonna be bad I don't I don't know why these two schools are scheduling each other. I do think UConn's schedule is really funny to me 
because I do believe that there, UConn still has a date with Clemson. Uh, <laughs> like that's yes. a thing that's happening. Uh, if the campus internet wasn't so lovely and horrible, I could confirm that. But yeah, it's it's a really weird game. But I do agree. UConn's been looking feisty. They've covered in a yeah. couple weeks in a row. They fired their or resigned their coach. Yeah. So <laughs> you know what? Him. Why not? I I like it. I I think that it'll be a close game, and I don't really think Vandy has any business being 14 and a half point favorites over anybody especially after what happened last week well let's take a look at your second game of the week Texas and TCU yeah this is an interesting one for me because I don't know how much I like it but I am going to pick it because a lot of the other lines scared me off I like Texas minus five over TCU Texas is playing really good football as of recent and I don't really know why after the Longhorns beat Texas Tech 70 to 35 it was the best decision to drop them out of the top 25. Mm. Uh, TCU, meanwhile, has been a team that I have not been impressed with, and it's a bummer because TCU was pegged by many to be a dark horse sleeper team in the Big 12. TCU's only win of the season has been against Duquesne, yeah. and then you lose to SMU. A lot of controversy in that Yeah, a lot, a lot of controversy with that. Uh, TCU's 1-2, and two, I think, so they have another loss. Uh, can't re- oh, no. They have two wins. They barely beat a bad Cal team. Mm. They beat Duquesne, lost to SMU, and again, bad campus internet. But TCU has another loss on that schedule. So I haven't really come away like too impressed with the, the Horned Frogs so far this season. Texas, on the other hand, I think the only danger of them not covering this five-point spread is if they're caught looking ahead to Oklahoma. But I really do think that Sark and those guys are going to make a big effort to make a statement ahead of that game so that Texas enters the polls ranked and has, you know, that ranked versus ranked allure of the Red River rivalry. So I like the Horns 40-27 to 27, uh, over a TCU team I haven't been very impressed with. I think that Texas' quarterback play and B. John Robinson and their defense will make enough plays to beat, the, beat TCU by a couple scores. Favorite bet of the week for me is my second one, and if I was actually a gambling man, I would 100% put money down on this. Boston College at Clemson. Clemson currently, as uh, this may line may change a little bit as we get closer to game day, but Clemson favored by 16 points <laughs> after a loss to NC State. Listen, this Clemson team struggled with Boston College last year with DJ at quarterback. They are not a whole lot better this year than last in terms of general talent. And Boston College just took out Missouri last week, and they're playing with a lot of momentum. There is no way Clemson covers this 16-point spread. And I could be eating crow next week on Episode 7 of Scarlet Fever, but for now, Clemson wins at 17-16. to 16. I hope you're not, because as a gambling man, I do have money on Boston College. Uh, I don't even think Clemson's going to ha- have a hard time scoring 17 points. I mean, their offense it's has bad. been so bad. Yeah. And, yeah, you bring up that point with DJ. I forgot that DJ played Boston College last year during that bit where Trevor Lawrence was out. You know, with with DJ's career thus far, it really has been like that Clemson did lose, but that game at Notre Dame seems to have been like the high point for him because he played really well, battled against a playoff team down to the wire, but ever since then, it's just been this steady decline. And I think heading into that game last year, a lot of people gave Clemson the benefit of the doubt that they would roll because of that game. And I still think that that, you know, the thought of that type of performance kind of exists in the back of a lot of people's minds, but I I, I haven't seen it so far, and I don't know if I'm going to see it against Boston College. All right, the battle of the NUs, Northwestern and Nebraska here on, uh, would be homecoming, it is homecoming week, Nebraska favored by 11. What do you think here? Does Nebraska cover or not? No, I'm leaning no, and here's why. I Pat Fitzgerald is a really, really good coach. He always has his guys ready to play, it seems, when they're playing Nebraska. And I just, I don't think that Nebraska, I think Nebraska's a better team. I'll preface by saying that. Nebraska's a better team. Nebraska's more battle-tested. The talent gap is there. But I do think Northwestern has a coaching advantage, and I think that Pat Fitzgerald is going to be able to do enough to make Nebraska uncomfortable. How I see this game playing out is it's close for the first half. Nebraska has a big third quarter, goes up, you know, 28-13, halfway through the fourth, and Northwestern's able to get a score late and make things uncomfortable. I think Nebraska wins this game 28-20 after kind of a dogfight in the first half. Game opens up a little bit towards Nebraska's favor early in the second half. Northwestern scores late, makes things uncomfortable, but Nebraska 
pulls out the victory in the end. So I'm going 28-20. I really like that prediction, I think. I'm very happy with it. I, I kind of see it coming out a little bit differently. Northwestern has struggled mightily in first halves this year. I mean, it has been absolutely brutal for the Cats. Yeah. And, you know, you look at this team, and the offense for Northwestern, pretty similar to Michigan State, like you brought up earlier in the podcast, I think as long as Nebraska's defense isn't too deflated or unmotivated after last week, this team should basically be able to do the same thing, if not worse, to Northwestern that they did to Michigan State. So I think the defense totally holds Northwestern out of this thing, and Nebraska's offense is able to get out of its own way enough to cover that 11-point spread. I think Nebraska wins it 35-17, to but the most interesting thing to me is going to be this. Does this team come out pissed off does this team come out more angry than they were last week do they come out playing for their coach or not I think that will be an indicator for the rest of the year I'd like to think that the answer is going to be yes to those questions uh, and that is why I think they'll cover the spread besides the general talent gap but that's a big question mark for me this week yeah, I think a quick start will be critical. I do think that there's certainly potential for this game to get out of hand. It's just that recency bias is clouding my mind a little bit, and I have those thoughts that sneak in like, oh, you know, Northwestern is really good at mucking things up a little bit and making things uncomfortable. If Nebraska can get out to a quick start, though, I really do think that it it, it could – it has th- this game has no contest potential. Now, will that game actually deliver upon that is yet to be seen, but – Nebraska's the better team here. It's just a matter of, I mean, a quick start would be huge. If Nebraska can do what it did to Buffalo and get up like three scores at half, coast. But I just, with with what I've seen between these two schools and how weird these games get, Traditionally I just, it doesn't yeah, happen. I just can't see it happening. I don't know. Maybe, I, I, I'd be glad to eat crow as well. I'd, be, I'd love to be wrong on that front. All right, so Landon goes with Alabama to win but not cover the spread. And with Texas and TCU, he thinks Texas covers their five-point spread and wins it 40-27 to for me. Connecticut and Vanderbilt, Vandy does not cover. Connecticut reaches in there and makes it close. Boston College and Clemson will be close as well. No way Clemson covers that 16-point spread with that offense. I think Nebraska does cover the double-digit spread here against Northwestern this week. So will we see a letdown or not? We'll find out on Saturday. But coming up next, we'll talk... Husker basketball and Husker volleyball to wrap out the show. This is Scarlet Peak. Welcome back to Scarlet Fever. Grant Hansen alongside Landon Wirt. It's time to talk a little bit of Husker volleyball. A couple of big matches last week, a couple of wins, but neither match in the 3-0 win against Iowa or the 3-1 against Northwestern during the week were very dominant for Nebraska. And you could tell in Coach Cook's press conference that he wasn't satisfied with where things are at. I asked him, did you feel like you saw any improvement? And the answer was, no. <laughs> and that was it. And I was trying to wait for a follow-up, but he, he did provide a little bit more information. He said, yeah, better than Louisville, but no. And the biggest, I think, message coming out of Cook's Monday press conference was this team has a long way to go. Yeah, um, and that's that's fine. I mean, we're at, still at a pretty, pretty young point in the season. I mean, it wasn't going to be perfect ever against, you know, two teams like Northwestern and Iowa that don't necessarily bring out the best uh, in your team. I mean, it's they're just not going to. It's not the Penn States, the Minnesotas, the Wisconsins of the world. You know, it's probably a little bit of tongue-in-cheek from Cook. I mean, obviously, showing progress is what you want to see, and of course this team still as isn't at, like, full strength 100% just yet. Um, you know, th- this team's better days are still ahead of it. So for me, it's hard to put a lot of stock in like these early matches. And yes, like oh, there might be a bit of struggles here and there with some of these opponents. But for me, the overarching theme is Nebraska's end game here is getting right by November and late October, and not so much. You know, yay, we beat Northwestern. Yay, we beat Iowa. That that's right. not the end game here. Right, and the biggest story probably out of the week, no Lexi Sun in the starting lineup. Yeah, uh, that 
Cook continues to tinker, doesn't he? So that was pretty significant to me, but at the end of the day, I don't really think it ended up causing too much of a ruckus. Uh, they do continue to do it, and maybe it's more of a like a statement thing on his end than an actual uh, you know message. But yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's an interesting. interesting thing there. And then Lawrence Stiffrens, seemingly closer to coming back. No timetable yet, but there, I people are you know people as in people on the team. Uh, and Coach Cook, they're actually talking about it. So that's uh, a progress there to get another All-American hopefully back on the court for Nebraska. This week, couple of big matches, Michigan and Michigan State. Michigan State on Sunday, Michigan on Friday night. Uh, Huskers are starting to ratchet things up a little bit. The schedule is kind of favorable to Nebraska in the beginning, starts to get things going. They don't really play a serious Big Ten team until Penn State in a couple of weeks. So couple of big matches this weekend, but you can you can rest a little bit, or can you? Because I don't really know if you can. <laughs> the Big Ten Conference has yeah. been intense early in the first week. Biggest one, obviously, is Maryland taking down Wisconsin. Yeah, that was crazy, wasn't it? That was really something that I wasn't expecting to see. You, I do say, I mean, yeah, it's like, it's Iowa, yeah, it's Northwestern, but I mean, yeah, Nebraska really can't afford to rest. They're, these upsets are really making everyone keep on their your toes. Cook talked about it a little bit, but it's it's going to be really important for Nebraska to emerge through this stretch unscathed. It's it's going to be a big deal for for them. So, yes, it's the lower half of the conference and yes, these opponents don't pop out the pop off the page like some of these others would, but you know, other teams in the conference are struggling with them. So, it's just as important for Nebraska to emerge victorious and come away with results against opponents like this, just like it is, you know, against some of, you know, the topper team, topper, goodness, the upper level teams in the conference. Right. A couple of notes before we move on to Husker basketball here. Uh, again, Michigan on Friday night, Jordan Larson is set to be honored the Olympian. Uh, Jordan at some point should probably get a statue outside the Devaney Center. We'll yeah. see how long it takes them to do that. But, man, she is just one of the legendary names, probably one of the greatest names in Husker volleyball history. So she will be honored on Friday night. That is going to be intense. I'm excited to be there for that. Uh, Justine Wong-Arantes was honored at the beginning of the year, and I was also there for that match. And that was probably the loudest I've ever heard Devaney. I can't imagine the level of intensity from that crowd on Friday night when they honor uh, Jordan. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. It'll be really cool. Jealous. That'll be a really yeah. gr- another really great environment to be in uh, for you. And, yeah, Jordan Larson's a stud. Another one of those homegrown Huskers that was so, so good at the Olympics. And it's going to be really cool to see the type of reception that she deceives, she receives and war- has warranted with you know her legendary career both at Nebraska and then elsewhere. So that'll be a really, really fun thing to thing to see for sure. And one of those developing outside pin hitters for Nebraska in Lindsey Krause, the freshman, is the Big Ten Freshman of the Week. Last week hit 3.86 kills per set, one dig, and added a .43 blocks per set. That's a 500 hitting percentage for the week. She had a really, really good week for Nebraska and those wins over Northwestern and Iowa. Yeah, and she keeps sweeping uh, the Daily Nebraska Freshman Athlete of the Week. I, I almost have to tell uh, the other volleyball beat reporter, Thomas Cody, I'm like, dude, it's a volleyball bias. Pick someone else. But, I mean, Krause certainly warranted it. She's yes. been really great. And one of the freshmen from a really talented, of course, we've discussed this at length, group that have been just so, so impactful for this stretch for Nebraska volleyball while some of its big hitters are – you know, working through some things or injured or what. So her development and her play has been one of the great storylines from this year for me. Nebraska uh, will, again, Michigan on Friday, Michigan State on Sunday. Now let's transition to Nebraska basketball. Somehow it snuck up on us. It's here. Uh, The Huskers started practice this week, and then Friday night there is the – I believe it was just a scrimmage, right? Friday night, open to the public? Yeah, uh, it's opening night, so the men's team will play a uh, scrimmage against each other. So will the women. G Herbo's performing, a rapper that Fred Hoiberg jokingly referred to as a personal favorite of his on Monday. Don't know what his uh, G Herbo knowledge is, but yeah, opening night. That's going to be real fun. Interesting comments I noted from that press conference. I drew some similarities, honestly, from volleyball to basketball in the talk around Bryce McGowan's, where... Coach Hoiberg said he's one of the most talented 
uh, athletic, explosive guys he's been around, but he's still a freshman, and there are certain things that have to you, you have to learn. That was really an interesting comparison that I drew, and you know it might not click immediately. Yeah, and it won't. This is a Nebraska team that is unlike any that Hoiberg's coached here, just purely on the sense that it's very deep. Uh, I mean, it seems like Hoiberg listed 10 to 12 guys that, you know, just within that, the constraints of Monday's press conference, that could have a significant impact on the team this year. And, of course, all the attention turns to Bryce McGowan's, the first five-star recruit in program history, a guy that has program-changing potential if he comes in here, has a successful year, and encourages players of his caliber to follow in his footsteps and do the same, it's not going to click right away. College basketball is a different game. It's a different animal than the junior college level or, you know, the Division II level. We've seen some guys that have come up through those ranks uh, and struggled a little bit early off the jump to adjust to the style of basketball that's played in the Big Ten, and the Big Ten specifically warrants its own adjustment. So, no, things are not going to be perfect and peachy and keen for him so far. And the biggest thing that I took away from that is that's going to be okay, at least for, for right. Fred. So that patience that he's willing to show with him is just going to do leaps and bounds for his development, in my opinion, as he continues to grow and get more comfortable at the collegiate level. Who uh, are the most non Bryce McGowan's players you're excited to see Friday night? Yeah, I have a couple, uh, but my list starts with Alonzo Verge. That is a guy that I have really been a fan of since his Arizona State days. A guy that can really score, but one of the things that was the most impressive to Hoiberg, at least, was the way he's been able to space the floor and create and pass. Uh, there's a video that he posted on Twitter, it was a couple weeks ago now, of him making a really flashy behind-the-back pass in practice that was really cool. So Alonzo Verge is a guy I'm really looking at. He's going to be a really critical piece, whether it's in the starting lineup or that sixth man off the bench. Uh, so he's going to be really important for how Nebraska operates this season. Another's Casey Tominaga, uh, a knockdown shooter at Ranger College in Texas. And the way he he releases the ball leads me to believe that his game will be very, very easy to translate. What makes Fred Hoiberg's offense work is not only floor spacing, but the threat of outside shooting from that floor spacing. Nebraska's yeah. been a team that really just has struggled to knock down three-pointers uh, in his tenure. It's a team that, you know, the offense centers around shooting a lot of three-pointers, but Nebraska hasn't always had guys that can make those outside shots. So getting bringing in a guy like Tominaga with a such a quick, left-handed release it's going to be a real real valuable asset for Nebraska to have and the third is Wilhelm Breedenbach that's a guy that I really wasn't expecting to see significant minutes this season I kind of pictured uh, the modern day man as more of a project type as he works to build his body to the collegiate level but here Fred Hoiberg was talking about him at length on Monday and as a guy that really has a viable shot to be competing in Nebraska's front court rotation He's a you know kind of a, a unicorn with his his skill set, almost like a Kristaps Porzingis type guy that's huge, but is more than capable of you know knocking down mid range and outside shots and getting to the bucket with the pick and roll and you know finishing at the rim. So he's a guy that I'm really looking forward to to seeing in Friday's scrimmage and in the preseason games as well. Yeah, yeah, most fruit, man. Most fruit is someone I'm really <laughs> excited to see this year. I the amount of uh, uh, look and just in terms of Wilhelm's look to Moe's shrewd from the office is hilarious to yeah. me. Uh, so, but I'm really excited to see him play. Another guy, uh, one guy that wasn't mentioned, uh, Derek Walker. I'm excited to see Derek Walker and how he uh, can control the paint if he can and how he can pass out of that. That's very interesting to me too. Quickly here before we go, what would describe a successful season under Hoiberg? And we'll get into this later, I'm sure, in the year once we get closer to start. But what do you think? Yeah, uh, to me, a successful season for Nebraska basketball this year is climbing up out of the basement of that bottom four in the Big Ten. The Big Ten's going through a little bit of change, but the teams at the, teams at the top are going to probably stay at the top as we've seen in years past. Your Ohio State's, your Illinois's, your Purdue's, your Michigan's. After that, there's a little bit of a transition period. Indiana has a new head coach. Iowa lost some really key pieces from last year's team, including Luca Garza. So there's certainly an opportunity for Nebraska to rise up from that bottom four 
and get that game that it so desperately craves on not the first night of the Big Ten tournament. I think that there's a path here for Nebraska to finish 10th, 9th, 8th in that conference. And when you're the 10th, 9th, or 8th best team in the Big Ten, you are talked about for NCAA tournament consideration. So if Nebraska can hang around this year, remain competitive, remain on NCAA tournament bubble watch, I think to me that defines a successful season. Will Nebraska Nebraska making the NCAA tournament this year, at least for me, is too high of a a pedestal to get to from where Nebraska was currently. But I do think some form of postseason basketball, whether it's the NIT or something else, is certainly feasible for this team. All right, well, there you have it. That'll do it for us here on Scarlet Fever. Grant Hansen and Landon Wirt. You can follow us on Twitter at Landon Wirt, W-I-R-T. You can find me at Hansen15 underscore Hansen. Again, that is Hansen with an E-N. So Hansen15 underscore Hansen. Hanson, don't forget, this is a podcast of the Daily Nebraskan, so give at Daily NEB and at DN Sports a follow for all your campus news from the students who live it every day. It's a big week ahead once again for Nebraska Athletics, and we'll be back to recap all of it for you next week on Episode 7 of Scarlet Fever, as well as look ahead to the week to come. So thank you so much for joining us. For Landon Work, I'm Grant Hanson, and this has been Scarlet Fever.